just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today, I was able to sit down with Sean Prenter to talk about his experience of living life after sustaining a traumatic brain injury. In this episode, Sean talks us through the moment when he fell off a balcony, the recovery process, as well as how recovery looks when you're a student, how he managed to complete a goal by being able to ski again, and why he wants to share his story. Sean is also a co-founder of the Otago Disabled Students Association, so of course we chat about all of that too. But just a heads up, there is a little issue with the sound quality in this episode, but as you'll soon be able to find out, Sean's interview was too good not to share, so I hope you don't mind. Welcome to That's So Chronic. We've been meaning to make this interview happen for a little while now, so I'm really grateful that we could find a time this afternoon. Now, you are currently a student. You are studying politics and environmental management down at Otago University. You are also part of the team that created the Otago Disabled Students Association at Otago University as well. And I'm really excited to learn more about that organization and how you made that happen. And I'm also really excited to hear your story as well, because I only know a very little amount about it. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's all very mysterious at this point, but I've definitely been looking forward to connecting. (laughs) Shall we start all the way back at the beginning? It was about three years ago when you sustained a traumatic brain injury. Can you remember much about how that all started? Take us back to that day. Yeah, totally. So I was at a friend's flat and they were, uh, had a, free, a few friends over. It was quite cramped there. So I went out onto the balcony to cool down with some more of my friends and they handed me one of their phones as a different friend was then calling. And cool as a cucumber with one phone in one hand the other the the other hand to like steady myself I went to lean on the balcony and I went straight over the top Um, and so I fell uh, the 15 uh, meters and yeah I don't I don't have any recollection of the actual fall itself so I would uh, would work with a um, neuropsychologist which I'm sure we'll end up touching on Uh, she sort of did this like I don't actually know the exact name of it but this sort of like rhythmic beating on my legs and got me to continuously repeat the parts of my memory that were sort of still there around the night and then repeat the specific parts which sort of had a increased uh, sort of like uh, emotional reaction I mm-hmm. suppose and then uh, through doing that uh, more and more of the memory sort of came back it's, a, it's sort of a trauma processing type thing um, really getting into it quite quickly with that yeah. <laughs> um, but I was able to uh, from that I was able to remember uh, actually uh, free falling which was quite wild wow. um, so I got rushed to the hospital and was in intensive care for two weeks um, I remember my um, girlfriend at the time saying that <laughs> I was complaining 
about the paramedic team uh, not understanding my shoulder pain. So I had uh, I fractured my um, collarbone uh, in the fall, and I had a uh, old rugby injury from my shoulder. And so yeah, in that um, <laughs> quite intense moment, that was my biggest concern was that they didn't know that I had a, <laughs> an old rugby injury, which is yeah was sort of like the least of my worries at that time. And they probably um, would have been happy if I'd, I'd piped up. <laughs> and so once you get to hospital, what is the process when you have a traumatic brain injury? I'm imagining that there's a lot of tests that have to get done. And is there then sort of like a diagnosis that this is what's happened to you? Yeah, so I can only fill out as much as I can remember or was otherwise sort of uh, yeah. conscious for. But I know that they ran two CT scans to see the damage to, um, to my brain. And yeah, I was uh, lucky enough to have hemorrhaging on um, uh, all, four, all four different types of hemorrhaging, I think it is, or either hemorrhaging in the four places mm-hmm. I could, can't quite remember. And so, yeah, from there, it was a case of keeping me uh, in intensive care and transferring me to the uh, neuro ward where they were then assessing to what degree I was impaired as a result of the fall and yeah they uh, had an occupational therapist there that was coming in uh, every day and was testing my memory and I kept failing the memory test I mean the phrasing there being particularly problematic and like it does well to surmise the experience in the sense that the occupational therapist was uh, told me until I passed the test, I wasn't leaving hospital, which when you're in that sort of state was not great. And also particularly with brain injuries being such a a different sort of injury to what you may be used to in terms of maybe like, I don't know, breaking breaking your leg from just, I don't know, drawing from sports yeah. perhaps. It's not the same in the sense of you don't just go home and rest your leg. <laughs> it's uh, is a far longer journey, I suppose, as opposed to just like a, a rehab in that sense. Um, so yeah, that framing, uh, pretty problematic. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, she too was out of the out of the hospital for a day or two. So I was fairly incapacitated cognitively. And yeah, she was then absent for two days and I was already frustrated that I was failing this test. And then I then sort of uh, attested failing to the fact that she then was then absent and then was testing me across sort of like two days. <laughs> I was like, anyone would fail this test, which, you know, I do wonder how I'd get on that test now. <laughs> but that ended in me self-discharging, which I guess would be like the next part of that story. Yeah. So what was the thought process around self-discharging while you're still really feeling the effects of this injury? Yeah, so it was a really tough one. Um, I was fortunate enough that the injury was I guess severe enough for me to be in a a room on my own which was definitely helpful from like a cognitive perspective Mm -hmm. but again it depends with different brain injuries in terms of what part of the brain that is affected and I guess the severity or direction of the impact perhaps but for me and a lot of other brain injured people there's a, a real sensitivity to stimulus and that can particularly be light and sound and so yeah the blinds weren't blackout in there and so was a real struggle with sleeping which is otherwise just a problem with brain injuries but that rest component particularly crucial and yeah I could hear all of the beeping of like the different machines and stuff keeping me up obviously hospital not the most comfortable places (laughs) um and so yeah the headspace I was in was just that you know I've um you know I was viewing it in the same like so I had fractured my collarbone as I mentioned uh, my t4 and I was viewing the head injury in much the same way as those injuries I was just like well this is all quite loud and overwhelming if I just get back to my flat and rest then I think I'm going to 
make the most gains as far as this recovery goes and it just didn't seem like the right environment for it. Yeah. What was your support network like during this time? Did you have friends or family around you that were able to support you, especially once you self-discharged? Yeah, so that was a, a horrible flight for my mum. <laughs> so I was um, born in Crawley in Wellington, but grew up over in Brighton in England. And so my dad uh, actually works overseas in Jakarta. And so my mum did the sort of, what is it, 28-hour flight wow. uh, over to... Um, yeah, come support me in hospital. Um, yeah, which was would have been absolutely grueling for her. Yeah. And uh, by her account, the person next to her um, heard all about it. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I had a, a close group of uh, friends in Dunedin, which was great. They all came to visit me whilst I was in hospital. But the real difficulty was in that transition out of hospital, particularly having self-discharge, because I was sort of at a point, I suppose, where perhaps the diagnoses sort of component of the head injury had not really worked, uh, hadn't really worked for me. And then I then was sort of out in the world, not really knowing what was going on with myself and how to navigate that. What would your symptoms have been like during that time when you came home to your flat? How would you describe what that felt like? Utterly overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) To, um, yeah, blanket over everything. But specifically, I was enrolled in law at the time and I went to go to a law tutorial and it was like being in a fish bubble. I just couldn't take on any of the sensory information at all. I had really no short-term memory in terms of being able to uh, process, relay what was being said to me. And then um, after the tutorial, I really couldn't have told you anything about it. And it was actually really only after that tutorial that I realized that I needed to take a bit more of a step back and highlighted to me probably the severity of my injury. Yeah, I was going to ask how university went and whether you tried to push through during this time directly after your injury, whether university was understanding or how you navigated missing classes. Because I know from personal experience now that I've gone back to uni, it just snowballs, doesn't it? You miss one thing and then you miss another thing and then you're behind and it's just, it's full on. Oh, absolutely. And with being enrolled with law, with the uh, workload, it just was was not possible. So this uh, the injury itself happened, I think it was at the start of orientation week. And so I was already then behind starting yeah. off. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, having, yeah, after that tutorial, I just realised that that wasn't going to be possible. And fortunately enough, my... Uh, auntie was a nurse in um, her past life um, and lived out in Cadrona Valley and so that was then a great place for me to be able to like relocate to uh, where there wasn't it was quite low stimulus um, and also she had kind of was able to take charge of the the health side of things Um, otherwise having completed the occupational therapy type stuff there would have been like a sort of ACC sort of you've got a case manager but then like a rehab manager who then would liaise with different therapists that I uh, may need. But because I self-discharged, I fell out of all of that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, she was fantastic as far as getting me back in contact with her. So what was the treatment or the recovery process? How did that look when you then relocated to your auntie's place? What was the sort of support that you were getting from the medical system? Uh, so I was seeing an occupational therapist a physiotherapist and a neuropsychologist 
and yeah so the uh, physiotherapy stuff was largely around like the healing and uh, yeah the healing of my collarbone and my vertebrae and also with some balance stuff so my balance was pretty impaired after uh, the injury so they gave me different exercises to help with that I my eyes also had issues as far as uh, sort of converging on one place so one would sort of squiggle <laughs> uh, when I'd be trying to focus on stuff so uh, I had a sort of bead-like exercise where you'd slide the beads um, and practice with that and I then saw uh, yeah then saw an eye specialist to get uh, special uh, prism frames put in wow. um, which would help I think sort of challenge my eyes to um, start functioning in a yeah a more typical way and yeah as far as the uh, occupational therapist uh, went that was just navigating the sort of friends and family type uh, stuff and what the support network looked like. So the real difficulty for me was that transition out of hospital and not knowing what a brain injury was and how that was going to affect me and how to communicate that. So, you know, I had a big shift as far as my friendships went because I was in a position where I couldn't communicate my own boundaries, let alone really be aware of where they lay. And so though a lot of my friends at the time were like, oh, you know, what can we do? I didn't really know. And so it was good to be out of that um, situation and so yeah for um, I think it would have been like three or four months or so we worked on what that sort of communication would look like and how going back to Dunedin uh, to study would work um, I suppose that being in line with like a uh, uh, a goal for as part of my journey of my brain injury was to try and get back and study so getting back into it with one paper and then sort of going from that yeah the neuropsychology stuff was uh yeah some pretty intense therapy (laughs) um in essence because with brain injuries you go full monkey mind (laughs) you uh uh, particularly with mine again there being uh different experiences with different head injuries but yeah my neuropsychologist framed it in terms of opening a can of worms (laughs) and that if you have any um sort of i guess suppressed emotions or anything along those lines uh that sort of of stuff is going to come up i had one relationship in my life at the time that was a bit strained and that was sort of something that i otherwise had uh, considered getting therapy on and that was something that then became more immediate so having phone calls with that person at the time well I think I could last on the phone with them for about 10 minutes <laughs> uh, before I'd get symptomatic which is just like a full sort of like sensory overload I'm not hearing what you're saying processing any of it and interestingly my auntie could see it <laughs> sort of like my like face would slap yeah, off. <laughs> wow. and so you say that this type of recovery was about three or four months uh yep that uh that stage of the recovery was so as far as seeing uh the i guess different people from acc that continued for i guess that particular rehab team which is called a training for independence rehab team that i guess consisting of those uh three providers consisted for what uh i think about two two and a half years okay and then just reduced down to seeing a psychologist uh, a psychologist an occupational therapist and then just a psychologist actually an interesting one is i saw an osteopath for a bit and they were doing uh, like manipulations uh, on my spine following the uh, accident and i don't know if you've ever been manipulated before but like i literally felt like my head was floating when i'd leave <laughs> because my like spine would be that much straighter yeah wow was there a sense of what the future would be like were you ever working towards a very specific goal or was it like this is what the prognosis is and i'm determined to 
not or to follow that prognosis if that makes sense like was there any sense of the bigger picture and the goal of what you were working towards yeah totally uh, and it sh- has shifted so much over the last few years initially with the physiotherapist the uh, big one was like I want to get back skiing that's you know I don't want this to get in the way of my sort of like hobbies and stuff along those lines yeah. and it was a tricky one because there was perhaps like a bit of disconnect there between the different therapists because I was like in a severely impaired range cognitively and so though it wasn't an unrealistic goal and I'm like proud to say that I got there eventually (laughs) it uh, was I think like a six month goal (laughs) and it ended up being more like a two year goal Um, and you know I'm actually going this weekend which is exciting yeah exactly (laughs) Um, leading up to it um, I have to have like a uh, pretty good grip on everything as far as I guess studies and life admin goes and then anticipate quite a lag as far as the fatigue things go otherwise in terms of expectations yeah like I mentioned I was enrolled for law and conversations with my neuropsych uh, was very much like you know perhaps you could look at doing like a postgraduate law and just see where the sort of journey of your head injury takes you but it's not something I'd recommend for now particularly with Otago where you have to do this intensive first year of law which I just definitely wasn't capable of doing and so yeah uh, from the yeah from the head injury I uh, had to slow down massively uh, in every which way I initially was what having about I think maybe four two four hour sleeps uh, sort of in the day and then uh, the work with my neuropsychologist we sort of brought that round to uh, meditating more regularly so I was then meditating like for 10 minutes every day mm-hmm. uh, sorry 10 minutes every hour uh, of the day and that became like a, a really great way for me to manage my symptoms and yeah from doing that I like pre- prior to my head injury was pretty gung-ho about um, how I was living my life and yeah I sort of slowed down became a bit more reflective and so that led me to picking up uh, uh, what was it environments and society paper I think it was or maybe it was a geography I can't quite remember but yeah, so I then changed my degree to environmental management and from doing environmental management got more interested in politics and then they switched around. <laughs> and so yeah, I will be graduating first semester next year with no ambition of law. Yeah. <laughs> so that has changed. <laughs> How did it make you feel, I guess, with your mental health suddenly having to take a step back and to slow things down? It was a really tough one in the sense that I had to take a step back, but I was le- uh, I was dealing with it with such a reduced capacity so it was <laughs> it was tough in the sense that there was certainly wasn't any choice around it yeah. but I suppose it was very much that sort of like one step back two steps forwards overall <laughs> it took a it took a while for me to be able to see it in that way as far as the mental health stuff went but that was particularly challenging but then really made me a lot more aware of things in life that I would like to change to what degree I guess I was I was and now am Uh, emulating my values Um, so yeah it was very confronting at the time but I think yeah having to do the work ended up being quite a positive experience though I think that also is quite a testimony to my neuropsychologist because I definitely became pretty cosmically optimistic (laughs) uh, just as a result too. (laughs) When you eventually moved back to Dunedin and you went back to university what were the considerations, I guess, that you, or the accommodations that you put in place in order to do that? I'm thinking, did you go back flatting with loads of people? Did you have to be mindful of how far away or in what location you were living in? And then with 
in terms of study? Did you go immediately back into four papers a semester or did you have to do some sort of reconfigurations around that oh absolutely a reconfiguration <laughs> hey i yeah so <laughs> yeah it was fantastic i had a good relationship with the uh dean of the hall that i was at initially and i was like oh that seems like a great idea as far as going into a hall and it being more managed not having to cook and that sort of thing for a reintroduction but that was really tough as far as the mental health side of th- her stuff went it was I hadn't really experienced so much the, uh, I guess, anxiety side of things. A lot of people with brain injuries suffer with the mental health side of things uh, in general, but particularly the depression, anxiety, and being back in a uh, an intense social situation like that, and being a little feeling a bit like a the odd one out, not quite having the capacity that I was used to to interact, was all very overwhelming. So I was there for about a week, um, having moved all my stuff in. <laughs> And then an opportunity arose at my old flat and I just snapped that up straight away, (laughs) which was an interesting one. It was like perhaps slightly misguided, I'm not sure, in the sense that I was still in a very similar space as far as navigating those conversations. And, you know, I think with brain injuries, it's sort of supposed to be quite a a quick six-month change as far as um, your cognition. And then it then slows down for the following year, following two years and then five years and past that you might see incremental changes but it then becomes a bit more this is your new norm and so yeah I was still very much dealing with those shifts and then navigating my impairment around a new environment and so yeah it was difficult to communicate that for sure still with those then flatmates so yeah uh, as far as the study went I'm super lucky being at Otago um, because the uh, what is it the Otago Disability Information and Support Service uh, is fantastic like I think I understand that they're like the best in the country which seems pretty accurate to me (laughs) and yeah they did absolutely heaps um I was able to get um I was able to get tutoring around stuff as the my sort of retention of knowledge or processing was um wasn't I guess is still (laughs) uh impaired and uh also note takers for any lectures that I wouldn't be able to get to as far as my fatigue being uh too bad and uh extended time so I could take breaks whilst I was doing my exams um as well as time added on to the exam to account for my fatigue and cognition which made it so so much more realistic me getting back to study and so I yeah went back with the goal of doing one paper which I yeah did it was definitely a huge challenge getting back to it (laughs) Uh, but was also fantastic in the sense that it gave me that cognitive challenge to I guess aid my cognitive rehab like it aligned really nicely with that and was sort of something I struggled with, like my neuroscience was sort of encouraging me to uh, read, do this, do that. Honestly, I watched a lot of Netflix yeah. <laughs> um, when I was in the early stages of rehab. There wasn't so much of the like scholarly reading, but yeah, being out back at uni was great as it did did force me to challenge myself and aided that um, that that element of yeah the cognitive uh, cognitive growth. And so yeah, for what I did that first single paper. And then the, I think it was, yeah, then the following semester, I believe. Yeah, following semester, I was then back to it doing two papers, which <laughs> worked really well for me um, because we were then in lockdown. Um, so oh, everything was online. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to access stuff more easily um, as far as, you know, I wasn't walking to and from lectures. And there was, I didn't have to account for that sort of extra social and uh, extra stimulus in between. So just being able to access it online for me made that transition to two papers like it was a challenge but it was far less of than what it would have been and 
I was fighting with what well, I moved into my brother's flat as a lot of people moved out of his with a lockdown and moved in with some mates so the social was sort of ticked off very manageable and then yeah the uh, transition to the heavier paper load was then a lot more achievable and then yeah so I've been uh, doing part-time since then. Wow that's incredible would you have believed it if you could have gone back and told yourself while you were in the hospital or while you're in that post-hospital recovery that this is how you would be tackling study now a few years on? It's a tricky one if I told myself in the hospital yeah well <laughs> I don't know if I told myself in the hospital I probably would be surprised that I was doing part-time yeah <laughs> thinking that I'd be doing full-time <laughs> uh, because I just I just w- w- didn't really know what was going on uh, if I told myself I guess after that law tutorial that I mentioned uh, I'd definitely be shocked that I had built my capacity up to that degree and even after my first paper to be honest like it was a very much another yeah another sort of um, recovery team goal to step back to two papers um, and it was very much like we'll see how it goes it wasn't anything that I was uh, too certain about so no I was absolutely ecstatic when I was able to manage it. You mentioned that being able to get back skiing was a really important goal for you and I know from uh, seeing on your Instagram that you do enjoy surfing, skiing, snowboarding, playing badminton as well at the moment. What has that process been like to get back into playing sport? Yeah that's been a, a pretty tricky one. I think interestingly badminton was probably the easiest one for me to get back to although I guess this is like yeah it's lacking some context in the sense that I always forget the name of the challenge which is bad by me but part of the physio work that I did was uh very early on was them determining to what degree my symptoms were brought on with physical activity okay um as by staying fit you're going to increase the degree that you can sort of have uh make cognitive gains and otherwise you know well-being etc we, we, we all know that stuff <laughs> and so yeah I was able to get back to the uh gym and that was sort of then I guess like my main like day-to-day priority whilst I was early rehabbing then when I was then back in Dunedin I think I just sort of did bits of the gy- uh, gym work I brought some noise cancelling um headphones which helped me so much as far as the stimulus stuff uh particularly at the gym I'd get uh, brought on quite quickly uh, symptomatically by the music and the weights dropping and all that sort of stuff so that helped me a lot and just going at less busy times and then as far as badminton weirdly that has been that was kind of okay I couldn't play for very long it was sort of like half an hour initially and I'd I think what take a longer break beforehand so if I know I've got like a um, a particularly uh, cognitively heavy activity coming up I'll sort of preemptively break and then make sure I uh, have an opportunity to break afterwards uh, so I think I'd take like half an hour to an hour before badminton play for half an hour then break afterwards and yeah weirdly as far as the cognition that was okay like it was tiring me and like fatigue has always been my biggest thing with it but yeah my cognitive so I had a like a neuro screening recently and my like sort of severely impaired across the board has gone up to uh, average across the board which is awesome but my I think it's uh, I think it's cognitive spatial or neuro uh, I can't quite remember the name but that's actually my poorest but badminton was fine which is weird because that's exactly what that would use yeah. so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I got back to badminton and then I was <laughs> I was like slowly allowed, uh, able to pay, uh, play a bit more and a bit more I can like I play sort of weekly with my brothers we have like a a tournament um, playing to 15 games like across X amount of sessions and then whoever gets to 15 first gets uh, gets shouted pizza by the others, others but I played for what well, I think like a 
hour 15 last time which i was like even surprised for for me i sort of looked at the time afterwards i was like yikes <laughs> this is pretty good going yeah. but i think yeah for badminton it was like it was far more achievable because it was that bit local and i knew there was places i could step out to but skiing was like a whole different beast as far as that went uh, as you um as you may know the mountains like you sort of you can go down to the calf which is absolutely overwhelming with people and sounds and so there's not really anywhere that you can get like a stimulus break there <laughs> um so that's one big part of it in general and like you're also still very much like up a mountain as well you can't just go home easily within 10 minutes you know it's a whole process of de-ski gearing <laughs> and then having to make your way down the mountain as well oh yeah absolutely and i think it was this is probably quite reflective too of my like i don't know general rehab type stuff as far as i'm pushing it a lot now because i'm sort of have reached a point where i've made some cognitive gains and i sort of can be i have a fairly good self-awareness of what brings up my um symptoms but previously and still a little bit now for sure uh, i'm pretty like routine based and pretty regimented and so that was another big challenge around the skiing side of things was being able to take that time out also otherwise feeling like a bit like i had a i was uh sort of already starting behind the start line with my papers and so you know i'd be studying sort of monday to sunday uh every week for my own uh, like from the capacity that i had which previously looked a bit like i think it was like i could do two to three hours a day and now it's like i can do like a nine to three and then past that i can do little bits of admin but the like heavy academic stuff isn't it <laughs> and so yeah with the skiing side of things the big part was like stepping outside of that routine and trying to keep up those elements of self-care i initially went with a trip with a friend that invited me and i was just wiped for the whole uh, week afterwards and i was like I, you know i was just like felt distraught about it i was like I, I can't do this this is like you know this aspiration was too out there for me and then yeah i think I, i'm not sure exactly what particularly did it i think it was a, a, a again i just went off for a whim with a friend and yeah i just made sure i really set myself up sort of like i was saying like i had to do a lot of hard work in the week to make sure i was in a good place i'd then also like prep all of my food beforehand so i know that that would be secure um i just sort of a, a thing ticked off that i wouldn't have to worry about um fatigue wise and yeah it still definitely writes me off for a near on a week but yeah it was more like a sort of like a case of uh, priorities and like to what degree i can make that sacrifice as opposed to me putting up barriers yeah that's amazing and there's nothing quite like that crisp mountain air when you're at the top of the ski field oh <laughs> uh, for sure yeah <laughs> definitely when you're going down a run too uh, nothing makes you feel uh, quite so alive <laughs> Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in and say thank you to you for listening to That's So Chronic. If you didn't already know, I've launched a monthly That's So Chronic newsletter over on Substack. Every month you will get the latest news, episodes and recommendations straight to your inbox. Sign up at the link in the show notes. Alright, back to the interview. So you were part of the team that founded the Otago Disabled Students Association. Tell us all about this. Where did the inspiration come from? How do we even start a club or an association at uni? And how does it all work? I guess uh, for, for me and another one of our general executive members, uh, Ren, we met at a, a kind of like inter-institute conference uh, when we were told to talk about 
um, our experiences disabled students and what the support had been like and we got talking afterwards and it was just like such a light bulb moment because I just not talked to any other disabled students um, about the challenge that they were having so I had like was connected with the brain injury association but everyone there was that bit older and so I could definitely relate to what I was experiencing symptomatically but not in terms of study and yeah the connection was just magical and I just like felt such strong solidarity with them and yeah it just lifted an absolute weight off my shoulders um particularly as far as the socializing goes you know like for me the meditation or like I bring a, a sleep mask around with me and my and my headphones and I'll just like conk out for a bit and I pretty shamelessly will just do that in public places I've been like photographed in Auckland because I think people thought I was some part part of some art or something along those lines which made my mates wet themselves <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um Ren and I um found that commonality and so yeah we sent a message through to our student union um saying that we feel like this is is sorely needed and let's collaborate and then we found that there were some students working on it which just oh, blew us away um, and so I know I know we couldn't believe it because it started off with Ren and I being like oh my god we have all this in common this is this is this is fantastic and I don't feel so alone and then we, and then we were like but this shouldn't be the case you know like and then so you know really felt quite impassioned and so yeah really like <laughs> a double uh taken away twice <laughs> um as far as that meeting and then to hear other people working on it um and so yeah um Lauren that you've had on here before had um started putting in the groundwork and so then we got together with uh Lauren and another one of the exec members um Hannah and Rose and Jackie and yeah brought um uh sort of brought that collective uh, vision together that's amazing and what is the sort of work that you guys are all doing so it's a lot <laughs> so the uh we sort of developed for wise to try and think about it in a I guess more yeah a more channeled way and that's largely around allyship accessibility inclusivity um, and advocacy and for us that was largely because like disability is this complex phenomenon that people relate to differently and it can be that they it's as much a journey too I think you know um, for me my neuropsychologist was uh, sort of warned me about identifying with disability I'm like well I mean I experience, an, I experience this impairment and there's elements of the environment around me uh, which are going to bring out this impairment and aren't and going to enable me and disable me and so wearing that on my sleeve made it far easier for me to be able to navigate my environment and also then empower for, um, like fellow students. And so uh, as far as the uh, allyship and the inclusivity, that's really what we're trying to do there is create a, a community whereby people can relate it relate to it in any which way because for um, a lot of people when you have perhaps like members of the deaf community might not identify with disability and there's is a unique deaf culture which uh, may cross over may not with disabled community uh, the disabled community and equally you have people who are impaired but that's just not something that they personally would, would identify with so really trying to take a pretty holistic um, approach into being able to connect the community around the common barriers that we experience on campus. So yeah, a lot of that community building stuff we've been going for two years now, or this will be coming in two years. <laughs> and so creating that community base is then what we then use to advocate off. And so we're on an accessibility uh, board for the university, as well as a health and wellbeing board. And then with our, our union association, um, we are on a academic uh, welfare and equity committee um, which we used to bring uh, disabled voice to issues of equity and accessibility on campus and then yeah otherwise we look to do anything we can essentially to raise that disabled voice and then 
take away the barriers that otherwise exist for disabled students socializing. So last semester, um, we did a lot of stuff online with the risk of COVID, and that looked like us doing some meditation sessions. Um, so that has been a, a big part of my journey with my head injury, which I was yeah delighted to share. We had um, an ally to the uh, community of whom did a sort of disability type uh, yoga where people could connect to it on different levels rather than this sort of like grueling uh, <laughs> high body demand that yoga can sometimes otherwise be. And then we also had a, a panelled event where we had different uh, disability leaders in the community come and unpack the free Britney documentary with us. So we uh, watched that all together and then the panellists were then asked about how the issues faced by Brittany connected to issues of consent, uh, issues of institutionalisation and disability rights. And so, yeah, that uh, touches on a little bit of what we do um, and sort of uh, what our why is, yeah. That is just incredible. And I can't wait to see all of the exciting things that you all get up to down there, following along on social media. <laughs> I guess coming to the end of this interview... What inspired you to chat with me today and share your story with me and also with everybody listening at home? I think a big part of it was just, yeah, experience uh, sharing my own journey with how I've come to identify with uh, disability. I think me starting from a place of that sort of like unconscious bias, I think, which comes for a lot from not understanding to a real disability embrace and how wearing that on my sleeve has meant that I've been able to personally advocate and navigate the world and then also be able to empower fellow students and sort of unite around that uh, that common goal and so yeah really hoping to just provoke thoughts or conversations around that and yeah otherwise raise awareness. Is there anything that you wish people knew about brain injuries or about disability if someone's listening and perhaps they know of somebody that has also sustained a traumatic brain injury or might be in recovery or rehab or is there anything that you would like support people or people of the wider community to know? Oh, it's a tricky one. I think when it comes to head injuries, it's um, it's perhaps like provoking maybe people to set up their own boundaries, perhaps. You know, it is such a big transition and... I think if I had other people at the time, which, you know, ended up coming in the form of different health professionals, sort of provoking, you know, what, what my capacity looked like at the time, you know, how long I could sort of socialise for and those sort of things, I think that would really help. And otherwise, I think just uh, really, and it connects to disability in that sense, like just lending a hand where you can within your own capacity. Everyone's is limited, but particularly in those early stages and then uh, in general down the line with brain injury a friend of mine Maddie um, was absolutely fantastic like I got out of hospital and came back to like a completely cleaned room um, she'd done all of my washing and it's those little things with brain injuries which just you know wipe the floor with, uh, with you when you there's other maybe like productive stuff that you could be doing for your rehabilitation and I'd say that's the I'd extend that to disability but just in a sense of it's really a case of um, being being uh, being curious and confronting that unconscious bias because certainly that sort of situation helps a lot with brain injuries but all disabilities are going to be unique and people also experience them differently between different disabilities and within a single line of impairment I suppose and so yeah it's really um, 
you're only going to get there through conversations and challenging yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and a little bit of your why as well with everyone listening to the podcast today. Thank you so much. I really loved getting to know you and your story. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jess. It's been, yeah, it's been great to be here. And of course, thank you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. If you would like to find out more about the Otago Disabled Students Association or anything else that we've talked about in this episode, head to the show notes for links. Or feel free to reach out over on Instagram. I'm at That's So Chronic. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well? All of the shares, follows, ratings and reviews really help That's So Chronic reach more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly hope have a lovely week